Good morning. Happy Independence Day. This morning we're going to be reading from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Starting in verse 1, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Let's pray. Father God, we, first of all, Lord, we thank you particularly on this day uh, that we live in this country. Lord, as messed up as this country is, and God, we certainly confess that we need your help and your wisdom in this country. It's still the best place on earth to be. We are grateful for the many blessings that you have bestowed on us, and I pray, God, that your church would rise up and be the light and the salt of this world, that, that we would regain the power through your spirit that we once had, that we would uh, work, Lord, to teach our families and to bring up and raise up the next generation to stand and to do the right thing. Father God, we thank you for your word, and and we are grateful for the many things we can learn from it. I pray, Lord, that as Jackie opens the scriptures this morning, that you would give him voice and that you would give us ears to hear and open hearts and open minds. We thank you, God, for this time. We seek to glorify you in this place. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God's good, isn't he? I am a testimony of his goodness. So 1 John chapter 3, as we're doing our journey through this epistle of John, I don't want us to lose sight. So, so often when we study scripture, you know, we are zooming in. So I don't want us to lose the ability to remember the point of it all. So we're going to zoom out for a second. Okay, you guys with me? So as this book is delivered to us, it starts with the idea that there is one person by which all of the things we're going to talk about are made possible. And that one person is the word of life or Jesus Christ, the righteous, our great God and Savior. So he's the primary focus as we begin. But then there's a problem. So we have a person who makes it all possible, but there's a problem that hinders us. The problem that hinders us is sin. Sometimes we like to call it a lot of different things, but it's just sin. Simple. 
And, but he tells us what to do about it. We have a problem that hinders us, but what do we do about our sin? We don't ignore it. We don't pretend it's not there. We, we confess our sin, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All right, so that's the problem that hinders and the answer to the problem. Then he goes on as he's discussing the word of life and the beauty that we have in him to tell us the proof that we belong to him. What'd I do? I'm low on battery? I didn't even know I was tired at all. I thought I was okay. They conned you to come up, huh? Uh -huh. Them guys hide back there? Okay. I'll be right back. Oh, double A's. You got them? No. You out of luck, brother. Hey, if it dies, Dory, just switch me to the thing. It's two. Yeah. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So not only can Savannah build a mean float, but she can run back and forth multiple times with batteries. Thanks, son. You got battery now? All right. Now, now I forget everything I was doing. Okay. The third thing is, is he tells us the proof that we belong to him. How to know. Right? Don't we want to know that? We want to know that we're walking with Christ. So he gives us proof. Two things. One, keep his commandments. Two, love one another. Keep his commandments. Now, the 119th Psalm will lay out for us the concept that commands, statutes, law, all of these things are referring to the word of God. So we want to keep his word. What Jesus told us. When he sent out the disciples, what did he tell them to do? Go into all nations, making disciples, right, of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's the next part? Teach them the things I commanded you. Keep his word. Do we know the things God has asked us to do? Yes, we just don't like to do them. We need to get better, right? So he says, you want to know if you're really mine, you'll keep my commandments. You'll keep the things that I said. For example, are you supposed to forgive people? Most of the time? Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a bad one, huh? Are we supposed to get rid of all bitterness, wrath, anger, slander, malice? And what are we supposed to positively do? Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another in Christ as God the Father forgave us. Oh, so you guys know what the Bible says, right? So we, we know he's, we're his when we keep his commandments. We want to follow the things he's given us, and we love one another. When Jesus was asked, greatest commandment, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. What was that? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love fulfills the law. Crazy idea, huh? So we want to know we're his. We're going to keep his commands and love one another. And then <clears throat> he gets into the nuts and bolts. We've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the purpose about writing. And that is one, to encourage believers to grow. So we're always to be progressing with the Lord. 
If you are staying stagnant, you're falling behind. You guys understand? The book of Hebrews tells us the danger of drifting. We don't want to be drifters. We want to be progressing. That means we're always moving toward the Lord, right? That's our, Jesus said two things that I try to, try to motivate me. Now my son throws these back at me every time I don't use it. He said, I want to let all the words that come out of my mouth honor and glorify God and all the things I do honor and glorify God. That's what Jesus said. Everything I say, the Father gave me to say. Everything I do, the Father has given me to do. That was his focus. That's the focus that I want to have. And so I want to constantly be growing, right? Not drifting, growing. Second thing he says, he exposes to you and I the dangers of worldliness, right? This world and the desires of this world is going to trip us up. This place is not my home. None of the stuff here belongs to me it's all gonna go away i have the greatest treasure there could ever be that is jesus christ the final thing he did that we talked about last time is he expressed the attitude of antichrist so for john in the church at ephesus where where this this epistle is probably being spoken to john there was a group of people that were denying jesus christ and so he's going to define this is the attitude of antichrist those who deny, one, Jesus is the Christ. Two, those that deny Jesus came in the flesh. Three, those who deny that Jesus lived a sinless life, that he died for our sins to save us from the wrath of God that we have incurred because of our rebellion against him and our own sinfulness and that he is the promise of everlasting life. That's the attitude of Antichrist. We, we turn away from that and today... He's going to talk to us about the purity of the love of the word of life. We're going to see it as we take a look at verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us. Now here's the downside of modern translations. They all got rid of this word, behold. When you say see, it doesn't mean anything to you. But if I say behold. That's different than just see. You guys tracking with me? Like, like when Amanda details my Harley. And it's the, the last time in the next hour it's going to sparkle like this. And I go out to look at it after she's done the detail job. And she will wave her hand over the bike and say, behold. And I will say, oh my gosh, that is so pretty. The concept here of see what kind of love the Father has given us is like that. It's behold what kind of love. Behold this otherworldly, supremely mind-blowing love that God has on display for you and I. We don't want to miss that. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God and so we are and the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him there's seven points about this love we're going to talk about seven things we want to pull out of the text number one this love characterizes the most extraordinary love 
John always uses the same phrase. You may, you may know the word as agape or agapeo. It's the, it's the word that is most often defined as God's love. But probably a better definition is a self-sacrificing love, mind-blowing love. This is the love that is being described. And this love is extraordinary. The second thing that we see about this love is that it comes from the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, I don't know if you spend much time meditating on that phrase, but if you do, it ought to blow your mind. Because there's none of us that would do that. Not one. But this self-sacrificing love that God had would present his son our sin sacrifice. That we might become the righteousness of God. This extraordinary love talked about by, by John in 1 John chapter 3, it comes from the Father. See what kind of love the Father has given us. This love originating with God ever seeks the true welfare of those being loved. It is amazing when we remember the personal destitution of those he loves. Do you remember who you were when Christ loved you? God, God's love is a love that works visible, transforming results in our lives. It's from the Father and it is extraordinary. This love is divine in nature, but it is also eternal. Aren't you thankful that his love is eternal? So as we look at this, this love from the Father, this love from the Father is eternal. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to him from far away, and I said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. How long? That's a long time. Nowadays, in our world, love is uh, a little more fleeting than that, right? I loved you yesterday, but today I love someone else, right? But that's not the Father's love. This love that comes from the Father is eternal. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. The Lord is saying that in Jeremiah to a people who are in rebellion against him. This is this love that has come from the Father. This love from the Father is also unconditional. Unconditional. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all the peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Not because of something you did, 
not because of something you've given, but simply because, simply because he loves you. That's the love that was expressed to the children of Israel, and that's the same love that is expressed to the church. God loves the sinner not because he's drawn to him because of our lovableness. Any of you who know me know you were not drawn to me because I'm lovable. But in spite of man's unloveliness, God sets his mind and will on seeking my highest good. And my highest good is him. He loves me. His love is not only eternal and unconditional, his love is also sacrificial. His love is sacrificial. 1 John chapter 4, we'll be there in about a year. 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, the propitiation for our sin. That's love. Sacrificial love of God that comes down from the Father. It's not only sacrificial, it's also incomprehensible. You ever try to measure it? How are you going to measure the love of God? How are you going to understand that? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18 and 19 <coughs> says this, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Yeah, we could spend a, any amount of time you want trying to search it and tap the depth of God's love, but you're never going to find the end of it. His love is incomprehensible, and his love is finally powerful. God's love is powerful. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, not powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. Man, this love that comes from the Father is indeed all that we have seen. This love is extraordinary. This love is amazing. And so he goes on to tell us not only that, the third thing that we'll see about this the purity of the love of God is this love calls us his children. It calls us his children. That's kind of mind-blowing to me because if you know anything about me, you'd not claim me. My father doesn't claim me. My mom, well, she did. Moms always claim you. You guys, you guys know that? Moms, somehow mom would look at me and go, oh, you're not the wretch that everyone says you are. But if you ask all the right people, they'll be happy to tell you, oh, yeah, he is. He is. So 
this idea that the love of God calls me his child, it's like, he's like choosing you. He's saying, I want you with me. I want you. You're part of my family. In the midst of a family, when I was 18, my dad found another wife and decided he wanted a new wife, a new family, new kids, new house, new place to live, new all that stuff. Which for me and my brothers was the same as saying, I don't want you. And so, you know, if you guys were at family camp, you heard that's one, another one of my confessions and you won't be able to hear the tape because I don't think we recorded it. So, however, I confess that part of, part of the bitterness, you know, I've been talking with you guys about uh, confessing that bitterness and being set free of that bitterness was unforgiveness toward my dad. But God, God wants me to forgive him. He wants me to let it go. You know how to know when it's forgiven? When I don't bring it up again. Right? Sorry. Yeah, you know that fight that you have over and over again with your wife or husband and all the things you ever did wrong in your life all come back up? That is unforgiveness. You have to go back to the second part of our lesson that says sin is a problem and you need to confess it, right? Don't, don't pet it. Don't play with it. Get rid of it. And let's move on to all that God has for us. His love calls us children. In John chapter 1, probably one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, it says in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed upon his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood or the will of flesh or the will of man, but of God. This is a work that God does in regenerating the lost, and we are born again. Born again. We are his children. Romans 8, verse 16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs and joint heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5 says this, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He made us part of his family. His love calls us children. There's a lot of other things I've been called in the world. But God, the God of the universe, who in John chapter 3 said, God so loved the world, he calls me child, my child. That surely is an extraordinary love, isn't it? That love that comes from the Father that calls us children, it also, fourth thing, confounds the world. The world's not really sure what to do with that. The world's full of a lot of advice, and unfortunately for you and I, the advice of the world has infiltrated the church, and it's sneaky. We don't even notice it's there. We don't even notice the, the willingness to put our hope and trust in our own abilities, in our own powers, in our own strength, and how many times we trust in self rather than trusting in God. The world ha is confused by what the Lord declares. 
that the world does not know him, and so the world doesn't really know what to do with us. Look, if you stand with Christ, eventually the world is going to put you in a special place, a, a special neighborhood where you can live. And maybe they'll put a little cross on your shirt so they can tell, oh, that's a Christian. But if you think that's not going to happen, you're not paying attention. The world is confounded and confused by the love of Christ. So listen, in John 14, 16, it says, John, same author, he writes this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, listen, whom the world cannot receive. How come the world can't receive it? Because it neither sees him or knows him. But you do. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit that enters into the life of a believer on that moment in which he is saved. This is a guarantee that we belong to him. So John, as he's writing this, as he's writing to us about this incredible love of God, see this amazing, behold, the love of God given to us by which we're called the children of God. And so we are his kids. And the reason why the world does not know us is it didn't know him. It confuses the world. This extraordinary love from the Father that calls us children and confuses the world. Verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when he appears, we'll be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Look, the fifth thing that this extraordinary love from the Father that calls us children and confuses the world, it will confirm his promise to us. The promise is that you will be glorified. That there will be a day. This is not that day, but there will be a day when we see Christ face to face. Philippians chapter 3 says that this same Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Anybody want to trade in the bucket of bolts? So yesterday, I so, I so want to trade in this bucket of bolts. Oh my gosh, what have I done to it? So I'm trying to get stuff out of the back of my truck. I don't know, they make trucks taller than they used to. So I walk over to the side of the truck, and in my head, I put my arms on the top of the side of the truck, and I just jump in. I've done it 10,000 times in my life. Well, I didn't do it yesterday. <laughs> I was so blown away that I couldn't do it, that I tried three more times. I was like, what, what just happened? Gravity has got more intense. At the same time gravity grew in its intensity, I apparently got weaker. So that to get in the back of my truck, I got to get a ladder. <laughs> and stick it by the, now I'm sure I could lay the tailgate down, but that's cheating. You guys remember jumping in the back of a truck? 
I don't know what happened. But I'm good. I'm done. Forget it. There's no redeeming this anymore. I am just simply living, looking forward to the promise of Christ that there is a glorified body for me. First Corinthians 15:35 says, "Some will ask, well, how, how then are the dead raised, and with what kind of body do they come?" In verse 38 of First Corinthians 15, it says, "But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind a seed, uh, the seed its own body." Verse 49, "Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will bear the image of the man from heaven." Just like I was in the image of Adam. I will be in the image of Christ. There will be a day. And all the aches and pains, diseases, sorrows, Jesus declares in the book of Revelation, see, I make all things new. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 5 says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. When this old thing is wore out, now I know, my son does this to me. My, not my oldest son, my oldest son looks just like me. And my youngest son looks just like me. But my middle son, he decided that he's never, ever going to look like me. So he is very focused on his diet, very focused on his exercise. And he looks just like I did when I was in the Marine Corps. It looks like he's in great shape. And part of my, the most fun I get in our, in our family meetings when Cole's together with me is to walk up to him, stick out my gut. Sometimes I lift up my shirt. I won't do that today. <laughs> and I say to him, Cole, behold your future. Now, now look, 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 look. I know there are young people out there just like him who are saying, that will never happen to me. Yeah, whatever. All us old folks said the same thing. It's coming. Payday someday. But here's the good news. When this tent is all wore out and is destroyed, we have a building in heaven eternal in the heavens for in this tent we groan yes longing to put on our heavenly dwelling if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked for while we are still in this tent we groan we're burdened not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life that's probably my favorite line in that section that what is mortal will be swallowed up in life because we are followers of the word of life who loves us with a love that we cannot even begin to comprehend. And this incredible, amazing, extravagant love that he has bestowed upon us, it is linked to the promise of God that he will, he has a glorified body for me. And it's not just about aches and pains, folks. It's about putting off the flesh. I grow weary of battling with the flesh. You know, Paul would write about it in, in uh, Romans chapter 7. The things I know I should do, I don't do. The things I shouldn't do, those are the things I do. 
Who will save me, he says, from this body of death? I thank God that Jesus Christ has redeemed me. This love of God is extravagant love from the Father. It calls us children that confuses the world. Also confirms his promise to us. We have a promise with him. That promise that he is going to utterly and completely redeem me. The sixth thing that it does is in verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The sixth thing this love does is it challenges us to a holy life. See, holiness is always linked to our hope. Our hope is a call unto holiness. To, to leave all that other stuff behind. What did, what did Paul declare to us in Romans chapter 6? Well, if grace is so amazing, should we sin that, that grace would abound? And he says, certainly not. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? This hope that Christ has, this promise that he has given us is a challenge to a holy life. Second Peter 3 Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what kind of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, wanting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. What's he say? He's saying, since all this is happening, we're watching the world will wind down one day, whenever that comes. And when it does, because it's coming, because all these things aren't mine and they're all going to pass away and none of these things around me are eternal, what kind of person ought I be? I ought to be a person who lives lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for his return and hastening the coming of the day of God. I want to follow Christ. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, listen to the challenge. Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. How am I found without spot or blemish? I make spots and blemishes every day. How will I be found that way? Remember part two in 1 John, what did it say? There is a problem that hinders us. It's called sin. What do we do about sin? We confess it, right? And he cleanses me from all unrighteousness. So how is it that I will be found without spot or blemish? Because I will be found in Christ Jesus, and he is without spot or blemish. That he became broken for me, that his body broken for me, so that I might become whole in him. That he who knew no sin became my sin sacrifice, that I might become the righteousness of God. Man, one of my, one of my absolute favorite scriptures, which 
they're going to scramble and try to find, but it's not there, is in the book of Jude, in the doxology of the book of Jude. Jude, the brother of Christ, writes this, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, yes, or falling. The one who is able to keep you. And what does this one who keeps you do? He presents you blameless, spotless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forevermore. This is the beauty of what God gives us. Our holiness is linked to that. That means my effort is to be found in Christ. John's going to write in First John, that we ought to abide in him. And if we abide in him, then we ought to act like he acts because we're in Christ. Think the illustration through. If you were able to take your body and put it inside the body of Christ, then you would do the things Christ does, right? You would say the things Christ says. This is our, this is our desire. This is our, this is our challenge. The love of God challenges us to a holiness that wants to abide in Christ evermore, exceedingly closer day by day. And when we stumble and fall and fail, he keeps me from falling, presents me blameless and spotless to God. I confess my sin and I get up and try again. The Bible says in Proverbs that a righteous man falls seven times in a day and always rises again. It's not about whether you fall. It's about what happens after you do. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in Jesus Christ. His love challenges us to a holy life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So this is what God wants for you. He wants you to grow in holiness to become more and more like him. That's the idea of sanctification. That you abstain. That means you turn away from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. We do know how to do it. We just don't like doing it. But we know how to do it. Control our own body. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother. We know we're not supposed to do that, right? We're supposed to be those that when the world looks at us, they say, man, those guys are Christian. Look how they love each other. That's how it's supposed to look. Because the Lord is the avenger for us in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. That holiness is in Christ Jesus. And if you are ever striving, moving, working, longing to be like Christ, that's the act of sanctification. It's not a way by which you're earning your salvation. It's just your salvation, the love of God transforming you. If you don't care about being holy or walking in holiness, then you ought to ask yourself, if you are a child of God. Because a child of God 
wants to pursue Christ. He calls us to walk in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who has given his spirit to you. In 1 John chapter 2, we read this. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, now we're not talking about some kind of perfect, precise life. We're talking about the goal. What's the goal of your life? You don't care? If you do... If your goal is to follow Christ, Jesus called all who are believers, come and follow me. So we want to follow Christ. We want to walk where he walked, say what he said, do what he did, right? We want to walk in his footsteps. This love of God challenges us. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. We want to look like Christ. I want to be like him. Finally, verse 4 through 6, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is a law unto itself. Sin is uh, autonomian. Sin is uh, self-law. Well, this is, how, this is what I think you ought to do. This is how I think you ought to live. There, are, there is either God's law, God's code, God's instruction to us, love God and love people, right? I'm, I'm, don't get crazy. But it's a call, right? Is that, isn't that a call? That's, that's the law, to love God, love people, then sin is lawlessness. All the things, all the desires of our flesh, our anger, our wrath, our clamor, our our malice, all of those things that pour out of our lives, that's not of God, that's of the world. That's sin. That's to be put away. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, I want you to understand, this is not talking about I struggle with alcohol. I've been struggling with alcohol for the majority of my life. I must not be a Christian. That's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about struggling. This is talking about not struggling. Do you understand? If you are fine in your sin... If you are fine in your bitterness, if you are fine in your unforgiveness, if you are fine in your sexual immorality, if you are fine in whatever thing that is a blatant sin, if you are fine in that, then he is saying, John is saying, you don't know Christ. Well, if you know Christ, you're not fine in it. You're not fine in it. One of my favorite things about Celebrate Recovery is this phrase. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. That's my identity. I struggle in X. That's not what John's talking about. 
That's, he's told us what to do about our struggles. When we sin, what do we do? Confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did Jesus Christ pay for our sins on the cross? Was there a sin he didn't pay for when he died for us? No, he paid for it all. All that's been washed away. What he's talking about is this distinction, the love of God, this love of God. The seventh thing that we're looking at about the love of God is it will confront us about our sin. And if it doesn't, you don't know him. That's why there's such stark dividing points. Everybody says, why has Christians got such a hard time with homosexuality? Or why has Christians got such a... Because those are plain, blatant things that God says is not okay. So can I be a, a believer in Jesus Christ who struggles in same-sex attraction? Who struggles in those things? For sure, I absolutely can be. Can I be a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who doesn't, who celebrates it? I don't know how to do that. I don't, I don't know how to do, I don't know how you, I don't see how you can reconcile it. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay, but let's just remove the hot button topic and look at one that maybe strikes more at home. If you can sit there and be fine withholding forgiveness from someone who should be or ought be forgiven, which, by the way, you ought to forgive in the same way that God forgave you. If you're fine and it doesn't bother you, you need to ask yourself if you know him. It's okay to say, you know what, I struggle forgiving this person. I know the Bible calls me to forgive and I'm struggling. That's different. You guys, are you, is everybody picking up what I'm laying down? Okay, so we, I get a lot of questions about these things, and I want to make sure that I, I make this at least as, as clear as I can. So here in 1 John 3, 4 through 6, this love of God, this extravagant love that's from the Father <coughs> that calls me as children, that, that confuses um, the world, that challenges us to a holy life, <coughs> it confronts me about my sin. And I cannot be satisfied there. I will, I, will, I, will, I will be unhappy <laughs> when I <coughs> was holding on to bitterness. Bitterness made me unhappy. When I forgave those whom I was bitter against, I was set free. Amazing how that works, just like God said. When I read the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, Lord, teach us to pray. Pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us, listen, forgive us our trespasses the same way we forgive others. Who did you listen to that? Forgive me my sin the way I forgive others theirs. You're praying that God would forgive you the way you forgive. Are you paying attention? God is calling us. His love confronts our sin. Okay? So if you are, if you know you're just holding on to unforgiveness because you just want the other person to suffer, which isn't happening, you're suffering, but it doesn't matter. If you're holding on to unforgiveness and it doesn't bother you, you got to go back and ask the question about, am I his? Do I know the word of life? 
Because his love confronts my sin. I can't keep on sinning. I can keep struggling. You guys understand the difference? I understand. Somebody done me wrong. He done me so much wrong. It's incredible. It's a crazy wrong. You would never understand. And I'm struggling forgiving them. Okay. I'll grant you struggling. But you need to be progressing more like Christ. You know the debt he forgave me of? If you know the debt he forgave you of, you cannot withhold forgiveness from any other person, whether they ask you or not. Now you say, but Jackie, God says you're supposed to repent. He does. Have you repented of every sin you ever sinned? I don't hear any yeses. <laughs> Have I repented in a general sense? I'm turning away from rebellion against God and turning toward God? For sure. For sure, yeah, I, I've done that, but I, I didn't repent of everything. Did he forgive me of everything? If I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sin that I confessed and cleanse me from, ooh, oh, that's a problem. Let it go. I'd sing that song, but I'd never seen the movie, so I don't know. <laughs> right now, somebody is saying, how is that even possible? <laughs> if you turn that song on in, or you turn that movie on in my house, my son Joe comes running out of whatever room he's in and screams until you turn it off. <laughs> You'll never get to see it at my house. We want, to, we want to let that stuff go, not continue to live in sin. Listen, why did he come? Jesus Christ, this love that he has. He's, he's told us the definition of sin is lawlessness. So what did he come to do? He came to deliver us, right? What was his purpose? John 1, the next day they saw Jesus coming toward him and he said to them, behold, the Lamb of God which... Ooh, you know, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He came to deliver us. And is there sin in him? No. No. Jesus would say in John 8, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why don't you believe me? The Bible says in John chapter 1, because man was dark. Man is darkness. He doesn't like the light. He's not coming to the light, but Jesus is the light. He knows no sin. He is our perfect sacrifice. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. So this is the mark of the true believer who knows, who is able to say, Behold the love of God that the Father has given me. Because that love of God will convict me. No one who knows God will continue in sin and say, that's not sin. It's important you understand that. That's not the same thing as, 
I'm struggling in sin. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. God, deliver me from my sin. That's different than the person who walks in sin and says, it's no big deal. What are you all hung up about? It's the 21st century. We all do it like this. Do you know the difference? This incredible love of God that has been bestowed upon us, the love that the Father has given us, it comes from the Father. It calls us children, confuses the world. It confirms his promise to us. It challenges us to a holy life. And it confronts us about our sin. And John is laying that out for us so that we would know in whom we have believed and that we would be persuaded that he is able to keep me into that day. All of me committed to him. That's where we want to be. Amen? Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning, and Lord, we, we thank you for what you have <clears throat> wrought for us, God, that you are so beautiful, so incredible. This love, God, is extravagant beyond our wildest dreams, but your word declares to us in Romans chapter 5. That this love of God is poured out, dumped, lavishly given by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This love of God that equips us, God does not call us to do anything he doesn't equip us to do. He's not a God sitting back saying, oh, I'm telling you to live this way, but secretly I'm not going to give you the ability to do so and I'm just laughing at your failure. That's not God. You see, first God loved you and he chose you and he called you his children. And he poured into your life the spirit by which you are able. We have the ability He has given us what is necessary that we might walk in holiness before him. He's given us the covering for when we fail and when we struggle, but he has already pronounced the victory. You see, Jesus Christ, he won the victory. It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit and then he gave up his spirit and he died and then three days later just like the scriptures declare he rose the bible says he rose for our justification that he could declare his children righteous in him 
the blood of Jesus Christ washes us clean. God gives us what is necessary that we might walk with him, that we might grow in him, that we might recognize those things that are trying to trip us up or, or get us off track, that we put our eyes on the prize, not that I have already attained or I am already perfected, but this one thing I do, I forget the things that lie behind, my struggles, my failures, my, my falls, I forget the things which lie behind. And I press on. I press on toward my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the upward call. Lift my eyes and I see him. Lord, as we think of this, as we think of your promises and the beauty that you bestow us and the love that you've given us, May we, like the psalmist, be able to proclaim, I will wait for you. Come to me. We thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness you give us. We thank you for the light that you shine in our lives. And we pray that you be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we close in, uh, in worship, we're going to have the elders come forward and there'll be folks up front. They want to pray with you. So if you're going through something, if you have a need, if you, whatever possible thing there may be, that's what they're here to do. To, um, to give you an opportunity for that. And as we close out, man, we just I just pray, along with the psalmist, the prayer of Psalm 130, Lord God, out of the depths I cry to you, and you hear me, and I will wait for you.